0: This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Today is the Valley of Sedim. The Valley of Sedim. And I trust that you got a uh, picture of that. And we'll talk about the two different scenes of that valley and what what they feel uh, happening to that valley today. The Valley of Sedim, I'll give you the geographical things about it first, and then we'll get into the biblical portion of it. It means the Valley of the Broad Plains. The Valley of the Broad Plains. A lot of open area in this particular valley. Not really much vegetation or trees or anything like that. Uh, the cities, well, this, this is actually the site of a, a great ancient battle that took place here. And that battle involved nine kings that came together to fight in this battle and it was at the time of Abraham and Lot. And the cities of the Jordan River plain revolted against the Mesopotamian kings and that's why they were brought together in this particular valley and getting ready to have this, this war that they had here. Now, you notice that the bottom picture is a picture of the Salt Sea. And because of that, the Valley of the Sedim refers to the great valley surrounding the Salt Sea here. And part, we'll talk about it, Part even part of that valley, they feel, is underwater now and part of the Salt Sea. Um, And so we'll see some of that. Now, where is it located at? Between Engedi and the cities of the plain at the south end of the Dead Sea. And then you'll notice the top picture showing these holes, these big holes uh, through that valley. And they were all through there. And at one time, these, this was a place full of tar pits, or they called them Bitman pits. It's also known as the, the stuff that was in these pits was like tar or asphalt that we would think of in our day, and uh, in the soft state that it was in, uh, it was found in that area. It become then it would become hardened. It would form like a have a form of petroleum. It would be a sticky black, similar to the consistency of like coal molasses. So it was nasty stuff down in, these, down in these tar pits. And they would play a fact into the war that took place. Because what, what they would do was once they got into the main battle of the war and everybody got to fighting and people got to realizing they're losing, they would turn around and run. And they run across this valley and many of them fell into these tar pits. Many of them died. You know, not, not looking at where they're running, just kind of thinking the enemy's right here behind me. They, they're after me. I'm going to run. And they ran and fell in these things. And so many of them died in that battle because of that. And uh, the others that did not fall into these tar pits, they survived. They continue on into the hill country there. So it became a definite... Uh, battle zone, and I want to try to, these names and some of these kings and countries are, are hard to pronounce, and I'll do the best to do, or probably slaughter some of them, but um, I want to kind of set up an idea of that battle that took place here in this valley and, and what happened. Uh, and we find that the uh, Chetelomor and the Confederate kings, they ended up overthrowing the king's of Sodom and the plains uh, around about that. So the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and we're, of course, always familiar with those two names because of what happened there. God destroyed those two cities, and we'll talk about how utterly He destroyed them. But uh, the king of Adama, the king of Zeboam, the king of Bela, they all came out along with the king of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. They all came out. They lined up for battle in this valley of Sidim. And they were going against the king of Elam, the king of Golim, the king of Shinar, and the king of Elsar. So it was four kings against five kings. And of course, each king had their army with them. Not sure exactly how many Soldiers that were total in, as far as uh, fighting in this thing, but it was certainly a lot. But what's going to end up happening, and we'll look at uh, our Scripture in just a minute, but what's going to end up happening here is that they took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. That means they took their food supply and they left, they departed. And they also took Lot which was Abraham's nephew. And that becomes a very important part in this, in this war and in what happened here. Uh, lot certainly had uh, a lot of possessions. They took his possessions. And so he was living in Sodom. And what happened was there was a survivor out of that war that came and, to Abraham and said, hey, I want to deliver you the news here that That They came in and took everything, and they took your nephew as well. Now, Abraham, at that particular time, he was over in a different area, the Oaks of Merah, and uh, he was with some fellows there, the uh, the, uh, the Amorite, Ishkol, Agner, all of them. They were allies with Abraham, so they were together. So what did Abraham do when he heard this news that his relative had been taken captive? Well, he said, I'm going after him. I'm going to get him. So what he'll do is he, he led out some trained men out of his house. And the Bible will show us how many that is. And they, they pursued them as far as Dan. And uh, the, these guys, they, were, they knew how to fight these wars. They knew what they needed to do. And they wouldn't all go just as one army. They'd get to a certain area and they'd divide. They say, okay, you know, you take this side, you take this side, we'll surround them, we'll make sure they don't escape. So they had these things down pat. And that's what they did. And they uh, pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus, and they, they captured them. They got their possessions. And did they get a lot? They sure did. So let's look at Genesis chapter 14. And we want to begin reading at verse 1. And I do want to go down through verse 24 in this uh, particular uh, account. So it says, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. That victuals means the food. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. And there came one that escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Merah, the Amorite, brother of Ishkol, brother of Agner, and these were confederate with Abram. That means they, they were together. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed trained servants born in his own house, and this is how many, 318, and they pursued them unto Dan. And I want you to remember, and we will see, that God was with Abraham. You know, God had already had a conversation with Abraham, and God had already made him some great promises, and so God was with him. So as far as the number here, it really doesn't seem like that many when compared to probably thousands. But the Lord was with him, and so... Verse 15, "...he divided himself against them, and he and his servants by night, and smote and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, also he brought brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people." And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return of the slaughter of Chelamar. And the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaven, which is the king's dale. And then I want you to see something very interesting here, and we want, we want to take some time with this and take note of verse number 18 because you've probably heard of Melchizedek in the Bible. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this Melchizedek appears. This guy, this name. Who is this person? Well, the scriptures said, name him like this. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. So this king meets him after the... After the victory of the battle, all of a sudden, he just comes up to Abraham, meets him, and he brings him bread. He brings him wine, and he's uh, he also is known as the priest of the Most High God. Remember some of these titles that is given to Melchizedek. So, what did he do? He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. So noticing he's praising God. That's what he's doing when he's blessing God. He's giving praise to God, this Melchizedek. And as he's giving these praises and delivering these things to Abraham and telling Abraham what a great job, but he also reminded him that God has been with him and God has helped him win this battle. And so we find that verse 21, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. So he's saying everybody that you captured, that belongs here. Everybody that you brought back from that battle, you give them to me. And as far as all the possessions, all the things that you acquired, of that, you can have that. You can take that. That's yours. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven and earth. And this is what he said that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe and that I will not take anything that is thine, least thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, I don't, I'm not going to take one of these goods. I, I know you said that I can give you the people we captured, all the goods of mine, but I'm not taking any of that. Because I want you to get this message here that God is the one that gave me the deliverance. God's the one that that is taking care of me. And I'm not going to be made rich by someone else and someone be able to say, well, the only reason that you got these things is because so-and-so king and so-and-so king gave you these things, and that's why you're in such good shape that you are. It's kind of like today, I think, You and I as Christians, we realize that God will supply all our needs according to His riches in glory. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use other people sometimes to bless us. He does do that financially, uh, materially. You know, God can use other people to do that and has done that for me through the years. Thank the Lord for that. But I still give glory and praise to God for what He's blessed me with. One thing about it, other people can't give me good health, but God can. Other people can't give me a lot of of other things, but God can certainly supply my needs that I have in my life. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that with God. I think it's important that we let Him know how thankful we are for the blessings that He has given us. And so that's kind of the idea here that Abraham is saying here. Now he did say this, now I have these, these uh, men that I have brought with me, that I have trained, and they have fought alongside me. And the only thing I request is verse 24, save only that the young men have eaten and the portion of men which went with me, Agner, Ishkel, Mamari, let them take their portion. So he's he's taking care of the men that have fought hard for him, and that's a good thing to do. He said, "I'm looking out for these guys. They they didn't have to do it, but they stood by me and they they fought and they did what what I asked them to do. and And uh, I want to take care of them. So he he certainly was was able to do that, and that was a good thing to do. And you know, I think when someone blesses you and me. We ought to not only be grateful to God for it, we ought to be grateful to them for it that they they let God use them. Because you know what? Down the road, they may have helped me, but I may be able to help them next time. So it is very important that we show that uh, to folks. Show the love of God that's in your heart. And that's that's where it comes out. So, Uh, As we think about this fellow Melchizedek in verses 18 through 20, we saw saw him come on the scene all of a sudden. We saw him have this conversation with Abraham. But who was Melchizedek? And I want to say right from the beginning, people have a lot of opinions about him. Bible scholars, commentaries, they, they all have different things and I've heard sermons preached on him. I've studied it myself, and I certainly could form my own opinion, but I try to just go by what the Scriptures, I read in the Scriptures about him, and I, and, I, and I say, you know what, I could be wrong, I could be right, we'll sort that out when we get to heaven. But Melchizedek, and we saw some of the names that was given him, and, and how, he was, uh, how he was categorized here. Melchizedek, whose name means King of Righteousness. King of Righteousness. He was a king of Salem. And that word Salem in this particular area means Jerusalem. And a priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek just suddenly appears and then he disappears again. He's on the scene, he's gone. In the book of Genesis, it's very mysterious. So Melchizedek and Abraham first meet after this defeat that had taken place with these three allies. Melchizedek presents him with bread and wine. He's presenting this to Abraham. He's presenting this to his weary men for what what he's demonstrating friendship is what he's doing. And he bestows a blessing on Abraham. And he does it in the name of the Most High God. And What he's doing is he's praising God for the victory that Abraham had in, the, in this battle. Now what does Abraham do? Abraham turns around and presents Melchizedek with a tithe. With a tithe. A tenth. And we find it's of all the items that he has gathered. And I guarantee you, it was a tremendous amount. So it was quite a tithe that he presented to Melchizedek. And by this act here, Abraham's indicating something. He's recognizing that Melchizedek is a priest who is ranked higher spiritually than he is. So, Abraham's recognizing something about this guy right away. It's it's brought to his attention in his heart. And he's thinking, hey, wait a minute. I'm in the presence here of someone very special. And I'm not only going to recognize him for who he is, but I'm going to tithe to him. So we start to see all these things put together. And who who do we put beside Melchizedek that we do a lot of the same things. That would be Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is presented as a type of Christ. We tithe to the Lord. We give praise to the Lord. We recognize who the Lord is. All these things here. And the theme is repeated, not just here in this particular passage, but it's repeated in the book of Hebrews, where both Melchizedek, and Christ are considered kings of righteousness and peace. And you think about those titles when we talk about Jesus. He's the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords, and He's the Prince of peace. Same titles given to the Lord. So when we're looking here at Melchizedek and his unique priesthood, it is as a type. And the writer shows that Christ's new priesthood was superior to the old Levitical order. Don't you remember when Christ came on the scene? He did what? he done away with the law. When He was crucified on the cross, the law was done. It is finished. The Baal were rent in twain from top to bottom. All that's done. All that's over with. All those sacrifices. All those Old Testament things. We're moving from that into a different area. So, Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7. We want to see what it says in verse number 1 about this Melchizedek. He's such an interesting character. For this, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met with Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all First being, by interpretation, King of Righteousness, and after that also King of Salem, which is King of Peace." All those titles are very important, but look at this. What about this Melchizedek? "...without father, without mother, without descent, neither having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. Isn't that wonderful? To see that comparison there? Because Joseph was just Jesus earthly, not really His Father. And we find here that this man was without father, without mother, without descent. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abram Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. For Abraham to turn around and do that, then something told him, hey, I'm in the presence of royalty right here. I mean, he had fought for this battle. It was a great vast of, of spoils that he had, he had accumulated. It wasn't just a small little portion of when he was given a tenth. He was given a great amount. And Abraham certainly wouldn't have done this to anyone else had he recognized that, hey, this is something unique right here. This is, this is something supernatural right here in front of me. This Melchizedek. Verse 5, And verily, they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham, but he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham blessed and blessed, blessed him that had that promise. So you can't you can't link Melchizedek coming out of uh, the loins of Abraham down the line. It, it just what it that's not connected with Abraham in that sense. And without all contradiction the less is better than blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes to Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So the purpose here, and we're thinking about this fellow Melchizedek. And I do believe he was the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. I just have to believe that because of all the titles, everything that's happened here. So, it's it's a possible theory here given that Abraham had received a visit before. I want you to look at Genesis 17 and we'll look at verse number 1. I added that scripture there on the side later on as I was studying this morning. I wanted to uh, put this in there. It says, uh, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked, look at that, with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. That's where his name was changed. For father of many nations have I made thee, And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish My covenant between Me and Thee, Thy seed after Thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto Thee, and to Thy seed after Thee." So you see, Abraham, Abraham was no stranger in hearing the voice of God. He's no stranger to being in God's presence. And That's why I believe when Melchizedek came on the scene, he said, hey, I've been here before. I got this feeling before. I know what the voice of God sounds like before here. I, I'm, I'm in the same situation. <clears throat> Hebrews 6 and verse number 20 says, Whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever, after the look at that order of Melchizedek and that word order is important. When we see the word order there, Jesus has become our high priest forever. Listen, the Bible says we have a high priest. We have someone that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We have someone that, that goes before us daily because the devil is accuser of the brethren and Jesus stands up and says, that one's mine. You can't have him. He's the high priest that we need. I'm glad I don't have to go find somebody with their collar turned around backwards and talk to them about my needs because I've got a high priest and that's Jesus. But that's term order here. After the order of Melchizedek, that would normally indicate when you have an order, that means you stand back and you say, okay, here's Abraham, here's who was after Abraham, His who's after him, His who's after him, and after him, and, and go right on down. That's the order of the family down through there. But here, we find here when it talks about the order, holding this office of the high priest, there's none ever mentioned. Hey, let's put Melchizedek right in the middle of that. Here's so-and-so, so-and-so, Melchizedek, and then after Melchizedek, so-and-so. No, no. He's not in the order there. So we've already found about no father, no mother, these things that are are in him. So the order is eternally him and him alone. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3 says, he was without father, without mother, and we saw that Scripture. The question is whether the author of Hebrews is talking, is he talking actually, or is he talking figuratively? So if the description in Hebrews is literal, then it's, it's difficult to see how it could be not be applied to anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ. No Mere earthly king remains a priest forever. And that's what you have to watch too. There were priests that came on the scene; some good priests. They came on and they done, they done their duty and then they died. And another priest took their place. But when this, when this talks about Melchizedek, it says remains a priest forever. Jesus is the first and last. The beginning and the end. So... The Son of God came to give Abraham His blessing is how I feel about it. He's appearing as the King of righteousness, King of peace, a mediator between God and man. And so, it's so interesting to follow this description and why it was chosen and He chose in the Bible to come as Melchizedek, come on that scene and bring this uh, into Abraham's life at that particular time. So, are Melchizedek and Jesus the same person? It would certainly seem so as you go through these Scriptures. And a case can be made either way. Some people disagree with that. But at the very least, we have to agree that Melchizedek was a type, a certainly a type of Christ. And so, it is also possible that Abraham, after his... Weary battle, that he turned around and met the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave honor to him, he gave praise to him. He and if he did it to this man, Melchizedek, listen, he was doing it to the Lord Himself. And we, we see no different in the scripture about that. Now, let's let's finish about this. Sodom and Gomorrah. And you, you are familiar with these cities and the, the wickedness that was there. Great, great wickedness in that area. And God would have to say, I'm going to overthrow these cities. I've got to do that. And not only the cities themselves, but all the surrounding area around that's going to be affected as well. All the inhabitants of the city. All the crops, the trees... The, the vegetation, anything that grew around it, God did a complete job on that area. And it is said that the smoke that came up from the destruction of those cities was seen far, far, far away. Many people saw it. It ascended like the smoke of a furnace. What does that remind you of? Some of the descriptions of hell, doesn't it? <clears throat> So that furnace here is, literally means kindling like you'd burn kindling. Get a fire started. And, and it gets bigger and bigger. So let's look at Genesis 19 and verse number 24. The Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. You know, we're, we're used to hearing about Pouring down rain, even hailstones many times come down in our area and, and destructive, a lot of things. But can you imagine brimstone, balls of fire coming down? And that's how the Lord took care of it. And He overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities which grew that which grew upon the ground. And his wife, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She she loved that city. She longed for that city. She looked back. Oh my goodness, I'm leaving behind a place that I love. Shame on her for loving a wicked, wicked place like that. You know, I I hope you don't think have this thought in your mind. When the Lord takes you and me home, we're not going to look back and say, oh, I'm leaving some Some wonderful place. Listen, we're going to a better place He's prepared for us. That's for sure. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah. This is afterwards. And toward the land of the plain, and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country, and went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. I tell you, old Lot was saved several times, wasn't he? The Lord looking out for that boy. Not only did He use Abraham to bring him back from where he was captured, but now He gets him out of these cities that that are destroyed as well. So the victory of these four invading kings at the valley of Sidim. And it shows their their strength, their military power, but it also shows God's blessing that was on Abraham. And we see that uh, as we looked at Genesis 14, this story, and even these four kings, these five other kings of this valley of Abraham were able to, to go and subdue them. And it was God who brought the victory. You know, Abraham demonstrated, and I think that's why it's so important that it's in the Word of God. It demonstrates it's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it's by the Lord's help. He shows his faith in God afterward. You know, wouldn't it be easy for him to walk out there with his chest all puffed out and say, hey man, I did it! I took these 300-some men. We did it. We conquered it. We took care of it. He could have come like that. But he said, no. I'm praising God for the victory. Whenever we come through something in our life, don't think that we've accomplished it on our own. Don't think it's something that we were able to come up with. We need to give victory to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. Say, hey, I came through this because the Lord was with me. I came through it because He knew the beginning to the end. He knew what was going to happen in between. I didn't, but I trusted in the Lord and He came through. So He demonstrated that. And God's faithfulness to Abraham is demonstrated in contrast between the victories here. These defeated five kings. Can you imagine? Five kings. He's already outnumbered. Abraham's faithfulness to God demonstrates he had interreactions here. And then here comes Melchizedek. So that's why I've got to just believe. That when Abraham came with the right attitude, he's coming back with the victory. He's coming back with all the spoils. He's got everything, the people that he captured. He's got it all. Everything's been victorious. Everything's been wonderful. And it's like the Lord Jesus comes on the scene and says, Hey, hey Abraham, how you doing? I'm doing good. I've had a great victory. I'm, I'm doing great. Okay. Well, what do you think? Well, praise God. (laughs) And he starts giving honor and praise in front of this high priest of righteousness. High priest of peace. Giving tithes to to this person. So it demonstrated that. Now, Like I said at the beginning of the lesson, the location of this valley of Sedim. For many scholars, they study it, they look at it, they investigate it. The location actually to them is unknown sometimes. And that's why I said some believe that part of it is submerged in the southern part of the Dead Sea. And that very well could be. Um, I don't know how up-to-date that picture is about these tar pits there and these holes that are still in this area, but I'm sure there's some still able to find in the, in the underlying areas, but evidence has been made known here that, and a few people argue that it is to the north of the Dead Sea. Uh, so... It doesn't matter exactly where it's, where it's located right now, but the, the thing is, the battle that took place and how God got the glory. So most Bible scholars believe that it is somewhere to the south of the Dead Sea based on these, these tar pits mentioned there and the movement between these eastern kings. Whatever the case is, the Valley of Sedim was located where God Chose to demonstrate his sovereign power. He chose to let people know his intention was to bless Abraham for the sake of the world. Genesis chapter 12, and verse number 2 and 3 And I will make thee a great nation, I will bless thee. You see, this is part of that blessing. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this promise that he made to Abraham, he's fulfilling it. I'm glad that we can read promises in the Word of God and not not just read them and say, well, that's nice. But we can claim those promises and we can remember some of them that have come true in your life and my life. God's faithful to His Word. He's faithful to Abraham. He's faithful today to you and me. But like Abraham, I think we need to praise God for what He's done. Praise Him for what He's continuing to do in your life and my life. Abraham gave Him the praise, whether it was to a man that was in front of Him named Melchizedek. he still gave praise and honor to God. And that's what's important about this particular valley. Amen? Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.